to another episode of the Mobile Word Podcast. My name is Pastor Nathan Pagard, and I'm grateful that you could join me today, and I'm looking forward to walking through the Word with you. Okay, for this episode of the podcast, we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 20, and we'll be reading from 28 to 40, but focusing primarily on verses 30 and 31 for our lesson today. So I'll be reading out of the NIV version, um, the New International Version, Uh, If you have that version, great. If you have another version that you prefer uh, in a physical Bible or your Bible on your phone, feel free to go ahead and look that up. And I'd I'd recommend reading it in your version, either before listening to me read from the NIV or after. So whatever you prefer, uh, you can pause the podcast now and read your own or listen in and then pause afterwards and then read from your version. Um, But if you're reading from NIV, you can just stick with the podcast. So again, we'll be reading from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 28 to 40, but focusing primarily on 30 and 31. Okay, so I'll go ahead and read from 28 to 40, and then I'll pray, and then we can get to what is the, uh, the main focus for this episode in this passage. Okay, this is 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 28. Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town, and my brother has ordered me to be there. If I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away to see my brothers. That is why he has not come to the king's table. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse, to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. On that second day of the month, he did not eat, because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him, and he said to the boy, Run and find the arrows I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, Isn't the arrow beyond you? Then he shouted, Hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing of all this, only Jonathan and David knew. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, Go, carry them back to town. Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you instruct us. I thank you that you communicate clearly to us through your word, uh, by your voice, Lord, spoken to us um, from so many years ago. I thank you that the same truths are relevant uh, to us today as we listen to this podcast, as we uh, join with one another to seek your truth in the word. Thank you for providing this passage for us. Uh, We pray that this passage be relevant to us personally Uh, Give us food to eat, nourish our spirits and our body so that we can take your truth uh, into the world that you've dropped us into, Lord, the situations you've presented to us with our workplace, with our family, with our friends. Lord, help us to be strengthened by this passage, refined by it, Lord, as we repent of our sin, as we embrace the holiness, the spirit of Jesus in our life. Help us to be guided by your word, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage, um, it, it, 
one thing that we have um, kind of ongoing with the podcast is we kind of have an open invitation for anyone to submit any passages, any chapters uh, that you would like heard on the podcast or discussed on the podcast. Um, so some of those can be, um, I, I, I prefer to have longer passages. I, if you have a verse that you're confused about or that you'd like to, to have discussed, there's no problem with that. Um, but I've always uh, found in my own uh, searching for truth in the Word and my own experience in studying the Bible with others is that context is key. You have to know what's going on um, around that singular verse. So, so more is usually better. Um, but also, you know, if you have a few verses, one verse, you know, we're open to all of that. It's, it's, I believe that God's given me the responsibility um, to take those verses that are submitted or take the verse and then to expound upon it so that we all can, can receive the, the, the full provision that God's provided to us in the Word, not just one, one verse taken out of context. So this passage um, was submitted, and actually the, the passage that was submitted was only verses uh, 33 to 40. So when you look in your Bible, if you find verses 33 to 40, um, it's a little awkward um, just because it kind of picks up in the middle of the middle of a story. So if you only read verses 33 to 40, and this is a problem, this can be a, a, a stumbling block for a lot of people seeking truth in the word or even you know seasoned seekers of truth in the word or Bible readers is that you have a lot of information that is scattered and disconnected. You have a lot of verses that you know or a lot of uh, events in the Bible or stories um, or, or moments in the Bible, but they're disconnected. So if you only read 33 to 40 and you didn't read the whole chapter, uh, chapter 20, or you haven't read 1 Samuel um, or, or you haven't read more, uh, at least more of, of chapter 20, you know, before and after 33 and 40, it's Obviously, the Lord can provide us you know, truth through the Holy Spirit, but I believe that it's a it's a it's a partnership deal. You know, God promises to provide us with the truth, but we have to seek. You know, what we can't do is go to God and say, "Okay, I picked this, make it relevant." You know, I see that a lot. You know, someone who who knows they should be reading their Bible, you know, knows they should be be in the Word. But because of time or because of, you know, where they are, you know, personally or mentally or uh, energy or whatever it is, we go to the Bible and we say, okay, I've only got 30 seconds, so I'm just going to read 33 to 40, and if it's not relevant, then you didn't show up. You know, we give God these time constraints, these unrealistic time constraints, and it's not that God could not communicate in 30 seconds. He can communicate right, right away before you even sit down. You know, it's not, that's not the issue. It's intent. It's, it's motivation. It's where your heart is in approaching the Lord. So often we go to God and we say, okay, this is all I have. I only have this amount of time. Okay. So you, because you're God, you have to show up and I'm doing my part. You know, I'm taking this 30 second break. So you've got to make it relevant. And if I'm confused, that's your fault. You were supposed to teach me. You know, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will be my counselor, and he will, you know, mediate between me and you through the word and guide me in all truth. And we, we approach God with this very um, unkind and very cold heart when it comes to his word. You know, maybe in other areas of, of walking as a Christian, we're a little, bo- a little bit more warm-hearted, whether it's with worship, 
singing songs, fellowship, prayer, service. But the Bible can be hard. The Bible is challenging. You know, even for someone that has read the Bible, and I'm not talking about myself, but just someone who has read their Bible a lot, an entire lifetime, there's still mysteries. That's the 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 challenge and the beauty of the word is that it's constantly growing with you. So you never you never reach the point where you've understood it or you've finished it. You know, I've shared this story before on the podcast when I finished the Bible for the first time and shared it with my dad, expecting a hero's applause. He said, read it again. And that has stuck with me and it will, it will forever stick with me because reading the Bible is is a, a daily conversation, is a daily refinement that goes on till the day you die. So you can never you, know, you can never go to the Bible with this approach that you know it's it's it's, it's I've I've heard it before. Give me something new, you know. So so when it comes to the Bible, it's it is challenging, and there's always going to be things that are hard to understand. There's always going to be things that are challenging you personally, but we have to go to God in the same way that maybe we reach out our hands and worship and we cry and we you know, sing and we pray fervently and we, we enjoy the fellowship, we laugh and all those great times, you know, that, that has to not only just be, be echoed in our time with the Word, but that has to be amplified in our time with the Word. That's our private time listening to the Father. I mean, you know, think of an example of, of someone sitting down in a class, you know, and the teacher is there teaching. When it comes to you being a student, taking that class, that is the most important part, is sitting in your desk, paying attention to the teacher, hearing the lesson, receiving the information, being taught a skill or taught how to do something or how to understand something. Then you apply it, then you practice it, then you are tested on it, you learn it. But it has to be given to you. If you're talking the whole time, if you don't care about that portion of the learning process of, of receiving the information or receiving the instruction, what good is all the other stuff? What good is the test taking time? What good is the homework time? That teacher is there for a specific role, for a specific purpose to teach you. So the worship and all those other things, those are great and those are important. Those are vital in your relationship with God. But when you sit down with the Bible, that's the, that's the voice of God speaking clearly to you. You know, I've mentioned this in, in prior podcasts, you know, we have feelings, we have sensations, we have hunches, you know, we have gut feelings and, and we, we feel like God is saying something and God might be saying something, but you know how to know exactly what God is saying without a doubt is to go into the Bible because maybe God wasn't saying that thing that you felt or that you thought you, you just had a feeling. Maybe not. So the only way to constantly be verifying that the, the Heavenly Father, the Good Shepherd, is speaking to His sheep, that, that hear His voice, is by knowing what He says. And that's given to us in grace, in the presence of the Bible, that we can see what He's saying clearly. Now, we still need the Holy Spirit to teach us, but we have to go to the Bible and we have to say, God, talk to me. And then our job is to listen. So when we go to the Bible, like I'm saying for 33 to 40 in chapter 20, we can't say, okay, God, 33 to 40, just show up, make it relevant, 
tell me what's there. Tell me the the action points, what I need to do, how it's applicable in this t- in this situation with work, with my family, whatever it is. No, we have to say, okay, 33 to 40 is a little skimpy. There's not a lot there. Maybe there's not enough there. So then we have to stretch it. So that's where it stretched to 28 to 40. And then for me, as I was reading it, I usually read the section once before we do the podcast. God was just zeroing in on 30 and 31. So it's like a it's like a lung, a breathing lung. You know, it starts small and then you expand it, get the context, and then God focuses it. You know, that's that's always how it is when you're reading the word, where you're when you're seeking God's voice, not just going through a plan. And sometimes you just read and God is just filling you up with context. And not everything is a firework moment. So don't go into your Bible reading plan saying, Gosh, I I had firework moments three days in a row and this today it's not a firework moment. What am I doing wrong? Sometimes God is just taking you through to the, the rudimentary fundamentals. He's filling you up with context. And maybe three days of context is going to lead to a fourth day firework show. As long as your heart is seeking the presence of God, the real presence of God, an encounter with him in his voice, then that Bible reading time is as valuable as a firework show or a context time. But it goes back and forth. You know, you start small and then you get bigger, read the context, and then God focuses it. And I believe God always wants to focus it. It might not be fireworks, but I believe there's always something that we can be getting out of the scripture that is applicable to our our life in this moment right now. I believe that firmly with all of my heart, that everything you read in the Bible is intended to sharpen you personally, where you are right now, sitting and listening to this podcast, walking, driving, whatever it is, I believe that everything you read in the Bible is meant to speak to you directly and that there is no wasted passage or scripture. The Bible is his voice speaking to you. So I pray that, you know, for this podcast, I pray that for your own Bible reading time, I pray that everything we talk about, everything you read is relevant and it's, and it's a, it comes to you in a sharpening manner, as an encouraging manner, a refining manner, a uh, a gentle and loving but powerful manner. So this whole 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 chapter, I'm going to give a little bit of a context, and then I'll get to the heart of what we're going to talk about. There's there's a growing feud now, mainly on the part of Saul. You know, Jonathan's popularity is increasing. Saul is increasingly jealous of 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 David. So Saul has in his heart to eliminate David to take him out. You know, you see that in King Herod later in the Gospels. He's so suspicious. You know, he's so paranoid about how his power might be taken from him or someone else being more popular or receiving more attention. So what do you do? You take that person out. You know, there's no reasoning. There's no teamwork. It's just, I need to get you out of the way. You're a problem. I need to eliminate the problem. So David, at the beginning of the chapter, is telling this to Jonathan, Saul's son, and they they've if you read in the Bible, you you see their relationship bloom, and they are a great picture of fellowship. But David is expressing this to Jonathan that your dad, you know, Saul is is has this in his heart. He wants to kill me, and Jonathan almost can't believe it. You know, saying that's not possible. You know, why? Why would he want to kill you? What have you done? You know, there's no reasonable explanation why he would want to kill you. Maybe upset, maybe had a bad day, but why? He he doesn't want to kill you. And that's the thing about that anger, you know, when we have anger and it's fueled by fear, fueled by suspicion, which is what sin does, 
you know, wants to fuel you with suspicion, wants to like set off your imagination like starting a car and let that engine just run, imagination, imagining what could happen, what someone else is thinking. And all of it's totally false or probably false. But in our mind, we're believing it as reality, even though it's something we're imagining. So Saul, it's, it's irrational. And Jonathan notices that. He says, that's crazy. Why would he want to do that? And David is saying, look, believe me, this is exactly how he's feeling. And basically, the, you know, you can read a little bit more of the context before verses 28. But you can read that there's kind of this, this test. You know, David says, try this. You know, go to him and tell him I'm not going to be at the dinner, not going to be at the festival. And depending on how he reacts, you'll know if he really wants to kill me or not. So the whole thing is, you know, Jonathan going to Saul and saving, saying, so David can't come because of this, this, and that. And he's waiting to see how Saul reacts. And Saul reacts in the way that, uh, that David assumed he would react, the way he predicted he would react. And he flips out. So you have this, this, this tension where you have Jonathan in the middle and you have his dad on one side who is who is unreasonably and irrationally jealous and angry towards David, his best friend. So you have him torn in the middle. You know, you have one person on one, one side, you know, who is living righteously, following God, living at peace, faithful, not perfect by any means, but following God and trying, endeavoring to live in peace with people to do God's will. And then you have someone else on the other side that is so jealous of what's happening on that other side, so angry. And you just see a lack of peace, a lack of love, joy. You know, we see that later in the, in the letters of Paul, the fruits of the Spirit. You know, you have the fruits of the Spirit, those nine fruits in Galatians. You know, peace, patience, kindness, all of those, the nine fruits. And then he puts the contrast, you know, what are not the fruits of the Spirit. And you have those almost, you know, symbolically represented in Saul and in David. In David, you see the fruits of the Spirit, someone who has peace. He's being hunted, but in the Spirit, he has peace, knowing that God is God and that God is sovereign over this terrible situation. You have love, you have joy, you have strength, you have all those other things. And then in Saul, you have the contrast. It's like light and dark. You know, it really is, is so drastically different. So it comes to us, you know, as inheritance in the New Testament and the, and the New Covenant, Covenant, sorry. You know, we have the luxury of the hindsight. We have the luxury of looking at our Bible and saying, wow, look how this connects with what Jesus says. Look how this connects with what Paul says. So for us, this isn't just a story of this feud in ancient Israel. It comes down to us as a clear distinction between light and dark. And what fuels that? You know, we talk about fear and anger, jealousy, and how sin feeds off of that. The Spirit of Jesus does not feed off of anger or jealousy or fear. It rebukes that. You know, we read in 1 John, John says that perfect love casts out fear. You know, the perfect love of Christ in our spirit casts out fear. Fear cannot dwell in our spirit if Jesus dwells with us. It's incompatible. You know, it's like if you have water and oil and you put those in a cup. It's like they, they can't mix. They don't work together. They oppose one another. It's like flipping the magnets over and they keep pushing each other away. So we can't have fear in our spirit if the spirit of the living God in Jesus Christ is in our spirit. There's nothing to be afraid of. 
Constantly, Jesus tells the disciples, do not be afraid. God, throughout the entire scriptures, tells the people of Israel, don't be afraid. You will have challenges. This world is not easy. You will be persecuted, but don't be afraid. There's no reason to fear. But we see that fear being fed and thriving in Saul's heart. So let's go to verses 30 to 31. That's where I feel like God is focusing this podcast. So that's a little bit more of the context. Feel free, if you want to pause it now or after the podcast, read the whole chapter. Read chapter 19 leading into 20 and then read 21. Get a little bit of the context, you know, that that breathing lung approach to the Bible. We'll go in small, but then go back out. You know, learn it, you know, know it. You know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna share some things that I think are important that God's leading me to, but that's that's nowhere near what is is in that chapter for you. There's so much more there. You know, so this isn't a check off chapter twenty, I learned it. This is something that I believe God's presented. But, you know, go in and out, you know, contract in and expand out with this chapter. So that's some of the context, but I believe God is giving me a specific lesson. In, chap- uh, in chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. So let me read 30 and 31, and then I'll go through three things that I believe God is, is, is showing me to share with all of you in this podcast. So verse 30, this is chapter 20, verse 30. It says, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must die. When I was reading this before we started the podcast, I felt like God was talking about relationships and relationships with believers in Jesus, relationships with non-believers. You know, this picture of Jonathan caught in the middle between on one side you have a believer you know, someone following God. And then on the other side, you have someone who isn't. Someone who is ruled by fear. Ruled by the self. You know, looking at the world through this, this worldview of me, my power, what I deserve. And they're very different. And what makes it even harder is that Jonathan sees the fruit of David's choice and his way of life following God in that way. And he sees the destruction and he's, and he's pushed to the point of anger. He can't eat. He's so upset thinking, how can, how can you choose that side when the other side is there? It doesn't make sense to him. And what makes it even harder is that it's his father. It's a it's a familiar family connection. And I think that echoes from generation after generation to this generation in those moments when you, you have heard the gospel or you're around friends that know Jesus and they are living out the fruit of the Spirit. They are pursuing Christ, pursuing His way. And then maybe you have coworkers or you have family or other friends that are not. And sooner or later, usually sooner, that comes to the surface and you've offended one side. You know, choosing that one side that is so alive in Christ can bring about death on the other side. 
And I think that in these two verses, we're seeing three things that are communicated to us when we're caught in that middle where we're seeing the light of Jesus, but in the process, we're offending those on the other side that have not seen that light. And it, and it's not a matter of, of, you know, friend and enemy. You know, that's not it. You know, you don't look at the people that haven't accepted Christ as now your foe or your enemy. They just haven't seen the light yet. It's so important to remember, you know, if you are in this position, if you're listening to this right now and you have family that are not believers in Jesus, <clears throat> you don't pray, you know, the, the prayers of Ephesians 6 and the armor of God that, that you will be protected from them. Sure, Satan will attempt to mingle in that relationship and break things apart, and we have to oppose him, but we don't oppose them. They just haven't seen the light yet. And by God's grace, they've given them an op- he's given them an opportunity to perhaps see the light through us. We are now the ambassadors. We are now the torchbearers of that light. So if we come in swinging and firing, how are they going to see the light of Jesus that is love, peace, patience, all the fruits of the Spirit? They should see the fruits of the Spirit in us, not rebuking prayers of condemnation. That's not your job. Christ, God is the judge. You are a representative of the gospel. That is your only job. However, what we'll see is we'll see reactions from that side that have not seen the light, have not believed in Jesus yet. And what happens is that your light that you bring in creates certain feelings, certain emotions in that other side. And I think we see some of that in how Saul's reacting. So first, um, obviously he, he, he's angry, He's upset, but we can learn. We can learn about his reactions, his feelings, a little bit more of that depth in what he says, the words that he chooses to say to his son. So remember, this is a father speaking to his son. And he says in verse 30, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. So first off, it's just flat out verbal abuse. You know, when we let our emotions run high and we don't control it with holiness, with the spirit of Jesus correcting us, The tongue is the most dangerous weapon in the world. You know, the tongue can leave scars that are far deeper than physical scars or lacerations of the skin. You know, if you are a a child or even as an adult and someone hits you really hard in the face, sure, you might have a broken bone, a bruise, bloody lip, a cut, those heal. But if someone looks at you and says, you're so stupid, you're so perverse, you're so wicked, you're mean, you're fat, you're too skinny, those words, it's like they just go on a loop over and over and over and over. And those words are hard to get out. Those words are hard to heal from. So when we're, when we're letting our anger drive us forward, our emotions driving us forward, we are irrational, we are abusive with our language. And maybe if we mean them to an extent, we don't mean them to the extent that we say them in those moments. We heighten everything for effect. We're jabbing in for effect. We're doing something so over the top 
to create a reaction. We want to hurt someone with that word. We're so angry. We've been hurt. Now we're going to hurt someone else. It's retaliation. I'm feeling pain. Now you're going to feel pain. That's how sin works. Tit for tat. You hurt me. I hurt you. You hurt me this much. I'm going to hurt you just that much more. So Saul's angry and he says, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. So criticizing his mom and his association with his mom. Then he says, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? So first, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse? One of the first things that you hear back from friends or family or people in your life that are not believers when they learn that you're now a believer is it's, it's a loyalty thing. They draw the line and say, don't I know that you're now on their side and you have left our side. In that moment, there's no possibility that you could be on both. There's no possibility that you could be just alive in Jesus and still love your family. And not even that, that you could be alive in Jesus and then love your family more, which is what God intends to do. That's the amazing thing about the gospel is that it's not that you chose a side and now you cut off those people. You might have to stop certain activities. You might have to change the way you speak. Maybe if there's certain influences that are affecting you and causing stumbling blocks to your faith in Jesus, you might have to limit those with your family, but you don't love them less. You serve them more. You love them more. You pursue a relationship with them more. Not in worldly activities, in the ways of the world, but you bring Jesus, the one who loves them even more than you do, into their presence. But the reaction that you get from that side is, I knew you were going to choose them over us. I knew you were going to leave us for them. I knew that you respected them more than you respect us. After all we've done for you, after everything we've done to help you, to pay for this, to take you on this vacation, to give you this, to, to serve you in this way, and to work so hard for you. After all of that, you're throwing it away and choosing them who have done none of that for you. It's a team thing. When you come to your family or you go to your friend and you say, you know what, I, 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 I believe in Jesus. And I'm, I'm going to these Bible studies on Wednesday night. I can't I can't go to the bar on Wednesday night anymore. I got a Bible study at my house. And sorry, I, I can't go on that trip on the weekend. I, I've got church on Sunday. Those, those, those comments, they might seem small. I've got church on Sunday. I've got a Bible study on Wednesday. Even though maybe there's plenty of other opportunities throughout the week. How that's registered in someone that has not believed in Jesus and is maybe ruled by anger or fear or, fear or jealousy. Sin. Let's just bring it down to sin. Because before, before you meet Jesus, you are ruled by sin. Your, your, your actions are ruled by sin. Someone on that side hears those very simple comments that are, that are totally fine. They're, you have all the right to go to your Bible study on Wednesday, go to church on Sunday. But how those are heard, those are shots across a bow, like in a war. Those are warning shots. They're opening punches in a boxing match. And they hear that as the fight is on. So, you've chosen to abandon us after how many years we've been your friends for these strangers that don't know you at all. 
So first thing that comes out is it's a loyalty issue. It's us or them. And that's where if you are encountering Jesus, if you have the spirit of Jesus in you, what you then do after so much prayer and persistent prayer for them to see the light so that God could communicate truth directly to them is you show them that it's not the case, that in Jesus you love them more. You want to help them more. How can I help you do that? You're moving? I'll be there first. You need help with groceries? How much do you need? You're going to be home today? Can I come over and just hang out? You're going to mow the lawn? Why don't I help you mow the lawn? You know, are you serving? Are you loving your souls in your life? Because you don't escape them into the church. That's not how it works. You don't escape them to your Christian friends where now everyone laughs and is happy and everyone gets along. No, you're sent back as an ambassador of Christ. That's your job now. That's your mission field. It's just like the the it's just like Legion when he's healed of those 6000 demons and he wants to go with Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Go back to your family and your town. Tell them what God has done for you. So first, you're going to hear that. It's a loyalty issue, but you prove them wrong. Like Peter says, you know, live such good lives in Jesus that they can't deny the reality of God when he comes back in glory, the the coming king, because everything you did represented him. It wasn't for your ego. It wasn't for your pride. It wasn't to prove a point. You have no points. You have no rights anymore. Your rights are swallowed up in Jesus' victory in his life. So now your heart is his heart. His heart is to know them and to love them, to reach out to the leper and touch him, to reach out to the woman caught in adultery and pick her up and say, who accuses you? That is now your heart and your spirit to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers. Those souls in your life, they're going to view it as a loyalty issue and you bust that down with the spirit of Jesus by loving them more. Second, In that same verse, it says, Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? Next, it's going to be threats. It's going to say, this is going to embarrass you so much. And not only that, it's embarrassing us. It's embarrassing us that we're associated with someone that believes this craziness of Jesus being God, resurrections, multiplication of bread, walking walking on water, coming in the clouds, healing the sick, raising a dead man. Those people, those souls in your life are now going to turn it on to you and say, you know what? You being a Christian is going to embarrass you so much. You're not going to get those jobs that you've dreamt about because you're a Christian now. You're going to embarrass yourself to all these people that you talk with. They're going to think you're such a nut. They're going to think you're so crazy that you're such a loser. You really want that? It's going to be threats. Do you really want to be looked at as a loser, an idiot? So again, it's the words, the anger. Do you really want to bring that shame on your life? And then they're going to say, and don't you realize how much shame you're bringing on your own family? That now we have to be associated with this craziness? And again, your response is not a fight. You don't prove this to them in an argument. You don't prove this to them 
by showering them in scriptures. You prove this to them in the spirit of Jesus that is now living in you and how you love them and how you serve them. You have rights in that moment because of your flesh to be upset. However, you have no rights to indulge in that anger and to feed it and to have that bloom into judgment and rejection of your family or your friends, your coworkers. In Jesus, that anger is swallowed up in Christ in the victory that overcomes death, overcomes that sinful reaction to be anger and love reigns. So first, you're going to have an, a loyalty issue brought up. And it's not necessarily always in this order, but I think this is what we're getting from this passage. It's a loyalty issue. You've chosen them over us. But then you show them, I love you more because of Jesus. Second, they're going to start throwing threats at you saying, have you counted the cost of what this means to follow Jesus? And you seriously have to contemplate that. You have to think about this. You know, if you're at that point where you've had an amazing moment with God and you believe, I think I believe, understand this. Jesus is very clear. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be viewed as a nut. They're going to think you're drunk in the morning, just like the apostles. You know, when when Pentecost happened, they're speaking in tongues and people say they're drunk this early. That's going to be you. Are you ready for that? Are you afraid of that? Is fear still clinging to you? in that moment when you think about the future of of being that person in your community or your family. So they're going to say, you're going to bring so much shame to yourself and you're going to shame us. You're embarrassing us. And you just have to pray and say, Christ reign in my spirit. Help me to love them. Help me to have my affirmation and all of my value swallowed up in Jesus to know that it's not man's opinion that is important to me. It's not man's view of me that is important, but it's your view of me, your value that you put on my life. And that words of man are nothing compared to the praise of my living God. That prayer has to reign in your life because you will be accused. You will be condemned by people. But by praying that, by holding on to Christ in those moments, they will see that you have confidence in Jesus, that you have eternal hope in Jesus, and that you are not weakened by the shame that is placed upon you by society or people around you or coworkers or whatever, but that you are as joyful and as hopeful and as strong as ever before and probably more. That's going to be a witness because they're going to say he's not even phased by it. His joy is daily. His strength is daily. What is this? Who is this Jesus? He should be wilting amongst all of this shame. But no, there's no shame. There's no condemnation in Christ and there's no shame in acknowledging Jesus as Lord and Savior. That is the the most joyful and fulfilling thing your lips will ever speak from that moment you believe. But that's going to be thrown at you. Don't you realize how much you're going to be embarrassed? But in Jesus, having Jesus in your life, you're not embarrassed to know Jesus. That's the proudest thing in your life, to know Jesus. 
Third, in verse 31, it says, As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Then it's a threat that you will fail. None of this will work. None of this will work. You joining a Bible study on Wednesday isn't going to do a thing. You going to church for two hours on Sunday or spending all day at church on Sunday isn't going to do a thing. All of your problems are still going to be there. All your issues internally and externally are still going to be there. None of this is going to work. You will not have success with this new thing that you're trading us all in for and embarrassing yourself and us. I don't know if you've heard that specifically, but I believe that in Saul we have a common reaction from sin to the presence of Jesus in our lives. And the opposition is going to say, none of this will work. You're going to fail. You being associated with this, it's going to fail. Nothing will work. And again, as Jesus is in your heart to love them and to show them that you have not abandoned them or cut them off, but that you love them more by choosing Jesus. And as the spirit of Jesus in your life is showing them eternal hope and confidence in the name of Jesus, even amidst barrages of accusations and persecution and criticism, and they can see that you are more joyful and more hopeful and more confident in the name of Jesus. And in the same way, that spirit of Jesus in your life is going to show you what real success is. Success through suffering. Success in this world, but not of this world. Success of having already attained the prized possession being Jesus, and that nothing in this world, money, career, anything else can add upon that possession that you have already obtained in Jesus. Hallelujah and amen. You have the prize. Everything else from this point on is telling people about the prize, showing people in your life that that you have the prize, that it's Jesus. They might see that you lost this job and then you got sick and then this happened and this, and they might view that as, gosh, what a tragedy. I told you you'd fail. But they're going to see someone standing upon the rock that is never shaken and never falls. They're going to see someone in the middle of a storm that feels the stillness of the water having Jesus on board. And prayerfully, as you pray for them, there might be a time when their world is shaken by people abandoning them, cutting them off. They might experience persecution and criticism, judgment, harsh words. They might experience failure, loss of a job, sickness, whatever it is. And what's going to be there the whole time? Jesus in you. And that's where you can show the light when there is true darkness in their life. You can be there as a constant presence of the light of Christ, the light of the world. As a Christian, you will, and I repeat, you will encounter these moments 
when someone in your life, possibly someone that's been in your family or someone, a friend of yours that's been in your life for years, is now faced with you throwing yourself at Jesus with your time, with your energy, with your passion, your work. And that's going to come back and contrast and oppose the life, the old life that you had with them. But pray for them. Pray for them. Cover them in prayer that they are not tempted to forget who you are, that they are not tempted by these lies that insist that you've cut them off. Pray for them. And pray for yourself how you share this new life, not from a position of self-righteousness, not from a position of authority or superiority, but from a position of humility, submission, and love towards your non-believer friend or family member or coworker. Be wise and discerning how you share this new life. Know that Satan wants to tempt them in the way they hear these words. He wants to tempt them to be flaring up with anger as Saul was. But in Jesus, Satan and all of his work is swallowed up in victory. In Jesus, we can overcome those moments and be a presence of light in their life and to show them the true gospel, show them Christ in a way that the world does not respond. You can show them holiness, true righteousness, and good news. So I pray for you as you share the gospel, as you take the gospel into groups and communities that are hostile to the Lord. But remember, only by Jesus being in you and only by knowing him so intimately can you use these moments like Saul and Jonathan to be a light to the world and the light to those people you know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have Christ. We thank you that we have the shield and we have our foundation. I thank you, Lord, that we have people in our lives that do not know you, that help us to be representatives, ambassadors of Christ. Help us to love them, pray for them, serve them. Help us to be Jesus to them. We rebuke in Jesus' name pride and self-righteousness, superiority, judgment, criticism. Lord, help us to submit to Jesus as we take the gospel to people that don't know it. Father, bless our words. Help us to be gentle and kind. But Lord, help us to be honest and courageous and bold in what we know to be true in Jesus. Help us to come in power, but power that came like a dove, like an infant but power to change the world in Jesus' name. And in his name we pray, amen. Okay, that was a little a little long, so thank you for hanging on. If you made it all the way, God bless you. I hope that that blessed you and, and uh, uh, helped you if you're going through situations with family or non-believers in your life. Um, it's, uh, it's a pertinent message for me today, uh, things that we're dealing with on, in our ministry in, uh, in Washington right now. It's very pertinent, so I, I'm very grateful. Uh, to the Lord to present us with this message, very timely. But uh, but that's where we'll leave it. Uh, we'll leave it there for, for this week's episode of the Mobile Word Podcast. Uh, thank you again for tuning in. And remember to send me your thoughts, questions, or comments, or scriptures uh, to mobilewordministry at gmail.com. 
Uh, I look forward to, to hearing from you and, and applying your thoughts or scriptures or questions to this podcast so that we can all learn more. But until next time, enjoy the word and God bless.